Hello and welcome to another Deep Away Dialogue with me, Richard Cox, and Tim Freak. Today, we're going to be chatting about the concept of enlightenment. Tim, good afternoon. Hi. So, I've, what sparked this? I've just written an article uh, where I've referred to the cult of enlightenment. Okay, so I've really, I've uh, set out my stall there and put my position out to start with. And I think it's... Um, it's possibly similar to your own, but we've, we've got this idea from the East of this ability to, this possibility to step into this transcendent state of consciousness and never look back. It's a, a one-off, you flick the switch, you cross the line, the lights go on and that's it, you're done and you don't even have to reincarnate. So perhaps you want to, <laughs> perhaps you want to put a bit more flesh on the bones of that idea, Tim. Um, where it comes from the East and say, was this something you were ever caught up in or, or were you too wise in your youth even to get drawn into such things? No, I was remarkably foolish in my youth and probably still remarkably foolish in my old age too. But, um, but I, yes, I was definitely uh, caught up in that because it was so ubiquitous and still is. Just the other day, I was thinking how, how interesting it is that I meet a lot of people and people often bring up enlightenment and we discuss it like we're going to do now. And nearly always, no, actually always, <laughs> they mean by the word enlightenment an Indian concept. What is astonishing is that whole of our modern world in the West is the creation of a period called the Enlightenment in which these enlightened ideas came through. And you've got people like philosopher Kant, who was talking about enlightenment as a moral state of awakening and all sorts. Now, we have become so imbued, or, or a certain subculture, which I have certainly been part of, have become so imbued by Eastern spiritual ideas that that Western idea of enlightenment is completely ignored. And we've taken on that Eastern idea of enlightenment almost uncritically. So there's an assumption often that enlightenment and other Indian concepts too are kind of just the way it is. It's a fact that there's enlightenment and really spirituality is about reaching it. But actually that's only one way of understanding spirituality. And the more that I've made the journey myself, the more I'm convinced it's not, it's not a accurate or helpful one. Okay, so you um, have written about your early, early spiritual experience of sitting on the hill and this big sense of love opening up. And then a few years after that, you became involved with a guru and probably held, held fast to those Eastern ideas of enlightenment. So what was the, the journey for that phase of your life to buying from having an experience to buying into a philosophical concept around that experience? Yeah, in, in, interestingly, and I, I don't want to particularly get into it in this conversation, but the guru I had didn't have the enlightenment thing, really. Oh. He had the, I'm a God man, or I'm, a, I'm the perfect master, I'm God incarnate, and you can come to it. But there was no, no feeling of you yourself will become enlightened or anything like that. It was more like you can, you can tune in to this through doing the meditations that he taught to this deep knowledge, this notion. It, it wasn't displayed as something you would attain. No, even though actually in practice, because of the ubiquitous nature of Eastern ideas, most of the devotees thought in those ways, but mm. he didn't actually speak in those ways. Okay. It was a quirky thing about that. So I never had it then, and I never had it. It was more like just an undercurrent. And I think you defined it really well when you said the, the essential idea is that there is a state, it's permanent, 
it, you have arrived at, at it, something you've attained, and there's no looking back. You've arrived, you've, you know, you, you've done, and when you die, you don't have to come back here. That's the kind of essential idea. What I, what I find, what I, what I don't like about it, first of all, I've met a lot of so-called enlightened people and have, and have not been very impressed. So that's just a background. Uh, the big thing for me has been seeing gradually and, and more and more all the time that the, the, there is a fundamental, what I would think of as anti-life philosophy here, which is actually ubiquitous. It's not just in India. You find it in traditional spirituality all around the world. And it's understandable because I think it all comes from certain periods of human history when human consciousness was was waking up and and a bit like on the personal journey you wake up and you think let's get away from here and we've talked about that negative spirituality before and this is a one of the key components it's the idea that your job the real purpose of life is nothing to do with the human adventure it's nothing to do with your family it's nothing to do with your attachments it's nothing to do with your aspirations to contribute to the journey of life or make life better for other people or any of that the real purpose of life is simply to become enlightened, to change your state once and for all. And usually, nearly always, that's defined as destroying, eradicating, transcending the ego, the separate identity. So built into it is all of these anti-human ideas. You, you, the, the individual, the one you are, that's the problem. If it was not there, you'd be in this permanent state. Are you in the permanent state? No, you're not. Why not? Because you're so attached to your ego. And there's a vicious circle there which we need to question and see whether actually it's accurate or whether there's a deeper, uh, more mature understanding of the nature of awakening, which is more appropriate now to the level of evolution which the human soul has reached. So, so did you have that aspiration in your teens and 20s when you were sat there meditating? Because I know you did some pretty intense meditation yeah. sessions and hours sitting at a wall. Was the goal that you felt a, a switch was going to flick and yes. the ego was going to go away and that was going to be it? It was going to be uber Tim. Yes. evermore then and yes. you'd walk around and just dispel wisdom sayings you know yes although i was very conscious that by even thinking that that i was self-aggrandizing and getting in the way yes. so that was a constant yeah. Then. <laughs> ah, <laughs> but yeah i think so essentially i think and, so. and was there a moment where that came crashing down or was it a kind of gradual erosion and a reimagining of spirituality for me it was a gradual erosion um because uh on the journey which i've written about of coming into life, becoming a parent, looking at questions gradually over the, over the years, some time ago now, questioning all these assumptions. Um, but I definitely felt like I ended up living the life I've led and I'm grateful for it because I had the idea that doing anything other was a complete waste of my life. The only thing worth doing, the greatest attainment, the, the real purpose of life was to become spiritually enlightened, which was to be permanently awake. And that was it. And anything else, really, anyone who did anything else really was wasting their life. And I wasn't going to do that. And have you, in your work, met many people over the years who have come to you, to your workshops, because you're not presenting spirituality this way? Uh, have you met people who have perhaps been caught up in that and are looking then for another option, another way? Lots. And more and more all the time. The more I articulate it in this different way, I mean, I get, I've had a lot of people come to see if I'm enlightened and then, you know, I've had to put them straight and, and we've gone much, you know, as friends and 
my my feeling is that we need what I call an emergent spirituality, a new form of spirituality. And one of the tenets for that, for me, which I've been struggling to articulate over the last few books, Deep Awake, Mystery Experience, and Soul Story, is to go, look, the enlightenment ideal, enlighten, the waking up for, is not from life, it's to life. So in that way, the waking up, which is real, beyond doubt, I've experienced it and I do experience it. And there's an ongoing journey and a relationship with that deep state. Sometimes I'm engulfed by it. Sometimes I'm on the edge of it. Sometimes I just forget it. Not so much now. But it's not some permanent, because the journey that Tim's making is up and down and in and out and has all the personal aspects of my particular soul, my story, which will be different to your story or anyone else's story. And, and, and it's an evolutionary story and therefore it's never static. And, and I'm constantly seeing, oh, I was unconscious of that. I'm now, I was foolish there. I'm, I'm hopefully becoming wiser and more conscious on that journey. So it's a, it's a journey of revelation of my foolishness, if you like. So, so there's no permanence. So, the, so one of the things it feels like, look, I question the idea that any state is permanent. What's permanent is the, the deep self, the deep being, our deep being. That is permanent, empty, formless awareness. That's how we experience it anyway. And that's always there. But our experience of it moves and changes. Literally, we go to sleep at night, you know, we, into deep sleep. That, so that, so that, that we come, our relationship with it is moving all the time. And the awakening journey is about finding a familiarity with it so that you can find it when you need to find it and, and taking some time to sink into it, experiencing that oneness and that love. That's what I give people a chance to do at the deep awakening retreats, but it's not some permanent dinner that it's a, it's actually an aid to make the journey. It's like, Oh, there's this profound oneness. Now, you know, that you're one with all there's this love. And then the journey is expressing the love, learning the journey of love, learning love wisdom learning how to love, making mistakes, living a human life. So that's, so what I developed in mystery experience and deep awake was the idea of not enlightenment, but what about, well, the first word I had was enlivenment. Mm, yeah, really, years yeah. back, if you remember, it was like, mm. let's call it enlivenment. Let's become alive, not away from it, but into it. And then the other thing was to become a lover of life. That's what I aspire to was to, to really love being and be loving and be a lover of life. And that felt like a, that felt like a more engaged, it felt like a, a more accurate to my actual experience. And, and, in, and in some ways, perhaps even a bigger challenge because it doesn't end. There's no point where it's over. And that never made sense to me either. Everything about life seems infinite. So the idea that the journey to awakening was over because you'd arrived, um, that never, that doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense at all to me anymore. Yeah, and it seems to have caused, um it's very problematic for gurus, it seems to me, and teachers of this, if they have to present themselves as being, having attained a certain thing. So, I mean, I do, when you say about people have asked you if you're enlightened, and it brings up this memory of when I, when I got into this thing and like friends of mine, uh, we talk about teachers of it and we'd like, uh, we'd want to know whether they were enlightened or not, right? Because what was the book worth reading? And it seems crazy to me now, but that, yeah. that would be the kind of conversation we'd have. And, um, I remember someone giving me 
uh, a book by Tony Parsons. And um, there was almost this like subtle nod that went on to let me know, yeah, he's, he's got it. Yeah. He wouldn't say it, but he's got it. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's like that was a. Uh, he's arrived. I know. I mean, when I was with my guru, I was you know, very young, but there it was like, well, look, you know, this, my guru's God. <laughs> These other gurus, you know, they're, you know, second best. And then with a lot of other gurus that other people had, it was my guru's enlightened. Or the phrase you hear again, fully enlightened or fully realized. Yeah fully realized what does that mean the potentiality of the universe is infinite it's realizing itself in new ways in every moment to be fully realized is just i don't know what these ideas mean and it seems to then bring up a lot of shadow behavior right like stories about um osho having to pretend that he needed dental work every day so he could get high off the laughing gas because presumably he's quite psychologically depressed or something but can't admit to that because he's enlightened it is ubiquitous we've talked before in our conversations about gurus how the stories are everywhere and you know those that live in this world see them more and more and i know people who run the centers who see them and and there's an self-aggrandizement that takes place which is actually working in the opposite direction of the evolutionary current the evolutionary current, which I feel is towards deeper humility, greater sense of the ubiquitous mystery that we're all in, and then each person doing their best. And as a philosopher, that means for me to do my best to express what I see in a way that's helpful to others and to do my best because I'm interested in awakening to guide people to the state that I have found and am exploring. But there's no but in that state, we're, we're complete. We meet as equals and, and, and we're all wise and, 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 and there's a, we're one thing exploring itself. So there's, when we did that, I did that conversation, which we've talked about in a previous dialogue with Andrew Cohen, hmm. which was fascinating because he's very much had that I'm enlightened and then the fall from grace, which is famous and so forth. But he said something in the conversation, which has stayed with me where he talked, he said, I was talking like this and he went, yes, but if someone has reached a certain level of attainment, that puts them in a different place. And I know, or I get the feeling that Andrew feels that about himself. And I instinctively just went, oh, I would never say that. Because it feels like that. It's the idea that there's a place you've got to, you've reached it. And therefore you're, you're, you're there. Now, People reach levels of attainment in all fields. There's people who have reached a huge level of attainment in football or music or anything. But it's not, and you respect that. And, and the same in spirituality, you respect that. But it's not like some permanent thing which you're just there now, you know. It's like moving and changing. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, not a, it's not like there's a, a thought that's been really on my mind recently is how we could easily and i think andrew is a good example of this potentially we could easily recreate the same problem with evolutionary spirituality because what i when i was reading ken wilber's recent book on the future of religion and it's a huge book and i mean like ken is brilliant obviously he's a he's very very clever man and full of interesting ideas however alongside all the things which I really resonate with, which is probably the majority of things that Ken says, there's also something I don't. And I'm trying to articulate it. And I think it's to do with there being like these levels which you must go through. So you're on this level 
and I'm not, it's not, I don't want to misjudge Ken. I mean, he's a very sophisticated thinker, so it's not just a, a straight line. It's much more subtle than that. But underneath it, there's this idea of you've attained this level. Oh, you've attained this level. You've attained this level, even if it's a bit mismatched. Mm. And therefore, my job is to attain the level that other people have already attained. It feels to me like the evolutionary process is not like that. It feels to me like there is a evolutionary current happening to everything and everyone, and it's creative. So that everything is still evolving. Even, you know, even the basic map is just very slow. You know, species are still evolving, just very slow. And human beings are evolving very fast. The soul is evolving very fast, but each one of us is creative. So where each one of us is a unique set of experiences in the past, meeting the potentiality of the, of the possible and bringing it into existence in a new way. Now, from a distance, we can see a tendency to have these different stages, which Ken is very good at articulating. But that's all it is. It's actually Richard on his evolutionary spiritual journey is totally creative. He's going to do it in a whole new way, which will be unique to Richard. That's the whole point. Not there is some evolutionary thing to attain. And that's a get that slipping that back into that old traditional view, which you get in, in Buddhism and Hinduism and various other of those forms. Do, do you understand what I'm saying with that? That there's something, there's something, what, what I want to see in this, a new emergent spirituality I'm trying to articulate is an honoring of the individual expression and the creativity of that. And whilst it's helpful to be able to go, oh, I can learn this and I can see these patterns, that's great. To really get that each evolutionary current is a creative current and everything is evolving, literally everything, especially for each person. Each person is evolving in their own unique way, given the past that they have into the possible. Yeah, I'm, with reference to Ken's talk, which I don't know much about, but I think it um, can be problematic if you start putting different people in different levels because then you don't need to understand them because you're on a, a higher level, right? So, yes, although think I think of... Ken wouldn't do that. To be fair to him, I think one of his great uh, virtues in his thinking, of, of which there are a lot, I have to say. <laughs> Everyone's right in their own way. It, it's... Is that he's, he's trying to understand everybody. Yeah, He's sure. trying to go, everyone's saying something of value here. And we should, and the whole integral thing, which is emerging now, is to take a bit from everything, you know, to get the best of everything. All of which I think is wonderful. And still, there is still an objective point above everyone, though, which is yes. judging what's of value. Yeah, um, it's, you can't get away from it, can you? That's yeah, right. and it does. It does seem, uh, you know, like one of the, one of the, the the things I think is problematic right now is, um, you know, on the political spectrum, you've got half the country, be it this country or the United States, um, completely unable to see the point of view of the other half, and vice versa and an unwillingness to believe there is a point of view there or believe there's any rationality behind the, the thought process that the, the people who support the opposite candidate or support the opposite option with regard to Europe are irrational, um, emotively driven fools. And um, I think when you have a kind of like a hierarchy, it leads into that kind of like, I, I've evolved to the next state up where uh, I can see that the folly of the, the other Yes, I mean, I think you can see there's an emergent hierarchy in the sense that some things have come later than others. So internationalism has come later than nationalism, generally. 
for instance. You know, it's just an historical fact. And these deeper currents have come last, which in a way makes them more emergent. But we, what we need to avoid is that kind of... I, I, I remember the very first time I met Andrew, actually, funnily enough, when, you know, meeting him for this last conversation, I have to say how much I enjoyed his company. He seemed uh, a very, you know, I liked his presence. Uh, when I first met him, I really didn't. I found it very, like, I didn't like it at all. And he didn't come to, we were giving, we were at a conference. He didn't come to the, with the rest of the teachers. He was elsewhere with his entourage. And they were all moaning about him and about the other people who have this view. And I was trying to understand it because it was like, well, why? Because there's something good in there, isn't there? And uh, they were trying, no one was articulating. And I, and I said, okay, so is it this? Is it that you're suspicious of an evolutionary picture which is evolving towards something and that something is you? So it's all evolving towards, you know, it's like I've arrived and it's all evolving towards me. And that's the danger of the evolutionary uh, teleological view that it's all going to this place which I've already got to, or so you're not quite where I am yet, or yeah. that view. And that I think we have to guard against, so that the emergent view of spirituality, which needs to replace the idea of absolute enlightenment, is, is not to replace it by just grade eight, grade, grade, gradients of enlightenment, but to actually make it creative. Because each person is a unique combination of experiences, and therefore will can meet the mystery in their own unique way. And the great thing about the awakening, as you know from your experience, I know from mine, is it really catapults the soul journey. Suddenly you're like, you're like this and you're stuck in the repetition and then this is huge, wow! And you're in a whole new world and there's a whole new Tim or a whole new Richard. And well, not whole new, but feels like that. And you're able to reimagine the journey and be creative and, and, and find new understandings and new ways to live and, and a deeper sense of what it is to be alive. And that feels, it, I, want to, I want to emphasize the creativity on an individual basis of living a life. And, for, and I feel like the Enlightenment tradition doesn't do that because it's about getting away from that, following, obeying the person who's arrived, just be obedient, we'll get rid of your ego for you and then you're free. And, it, uh, and the same with the gradations of this stage, this stage, this stage. It's like they're still stuck in that rather than let's empower each other to become lovers of life in our own unique way so that we manifest new things and then share them with each other. So we're all richer, like the, the mean pool is constantly expanded. Do you, do you think it's played a necessary role in some sense? Like I'm thinking about... Um... I think we acknowledge that when we get into this whole thing, there are things we believe in, which 20 years later we perhaps don't believe in. And it's almost like we want anchors. So you could say that um, a belief in a literal Jesus is an anchor because it means that spirituality, you know, he really came in the flesh. Or if you believe, say, and we were talking about Yogananda the other day, that he really did these miracles. And that means what, what I'm pursuing here has a reality to it that I can, I can latch onto and hold. And I wonder because I've been critical of the concept of enlightenment myself um, for a number of years, but have expressed it more recently. Um, I wonder if it will occur to me at some point, that actually there was a positive there that I needed or something that it, it gave me something to strive for, to hold on to, to believe in um, at a time where the, the effect of this spiritual thing was less tangible. I had less direct access to it. So I'm, I'm trying to see, 
I'm yes. because I, I don't I, I I'm aware of my tendency to like see myself as um, a victim of this Eastern philosophy say that uh, I had this big experience and I didn't know what to make of it and then I got a book on Zen and that sounded similar and it said the thing to do is keep watching your breath and at some point you'll get enlightened and I'm oh, okay well I guess that I mean they seem to know what they're talking about I wasn't quite that gullible there's a bit more of a journey there but that's that's essentially the story um and I wonder um so there, there it's me being led into something and had there been more options available I'm suggesting I would have chosen a better option but I'm wondering was there something in me that was also in resonance with that or like the idea of there being uh, a final destination to arrive at and it was only two three years later that i was i'd really come to a place where i could start to question that i think so and i mean that's what i loved reading your 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 article which i thought was a great article i really recommend it was that 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 and i'm in love with indian philosophy i mean indian philosophy was one of the first loves of my life and and and, and Taoist philosophy and and you know it, it's so rich and had such a profound effect on me. But I would suggest it wasn't just you or me that, that needed that in that particular time. The whole culture was bereft of those inner mysteries. We'd lost the Christian inner mysteries mm -hmm. pretty much, and we imported them back, and now we had them again. Then we were ready to move on, I hope, to what will be the next phase. And what you're saying reminds me very much of that Gnostic process of initiation, the, the soul level the psychic level the psyche level and then the pneumatic spiritual level that the the first level is all about it's a bit like spiritual childhood not in a derogatory mm. sense just in a sense that everyone's coming through the the maturation journey uh, in which you do want authority like kids need authority and that can be misplaced it can be dangerous i mean I, what you would like to have i think is healthy authority mm. Um, and, and that sense of, I, have, I don't know, but I'm confident in the person who's guiding me. That's all very helpful. Guides are great. Yes. And then when you, when, you, when you become an adult yourself spiritually, that's when you start going, oh, this is my creative journey myself. And then the guide has to transform into your friend. There's a want to believe that someone has something absolutely, whether that's Jesus Christ or Eckhart Tolle. There's a want to believe that that person over there knows. They've kind they of know. got it's this. Okay. They know. Yeah. They know. Yeah, and then there's a, the, the, the killing Buddha on the road at some point of um, getting I used to rid of that image. To, you know, the tapes by spiritual teachers I admired because it reassured me. It gave me a sense when I felt lost, I could hear in their voice that they weren't, that they were okay. I used to do tarot readings to just see the pattern and go, oh God, there is, it's all right, there's, there's meaning here. I don't mm. know what the meaning is, but it's obvious. You know, there's synchronicity. There's me. It's not just random suffering. There's something more here. And I needed, when I, when I would lose the deep awake state, which would be a lot, I needed as much reassurance as I could get. I have complete under, you know, sympathy for that. But I do think that we, we collectively, we've moved, we're moving through that. Phase. Sure. And I now, see parallels in the, um, come in a different way. I see parallels in the death and bereavement area with um, mediumship or the sense of communicating with spirits or, or different things like that. I'm not saying there's anything um, at all wrong or unhealthy about that. Um, but I find that the more I've got in touch with this sense of transcendent consciousness, um, it's almost like that stuff becomes, um, it's nice to have a sense of connection with departed relatives, but there's not that need, that clinging to know that life goes on in the same way, because there's a, there's a sense of it. There's a sense of everything safe emerges, a sense that 
um, that the deepest part of you and everyone else is transcendent of birth and death, and that doesn't require um, an external demonstration of that. So, so maybe this is the place where the conversation is heading. Maybe this is the place where it arrives for me, which is the, the center, I guess, of my, my life's journey is, look, there is, a, there is a state of deep knowing, call it whatever you want, gnosis, deep awake, that you can call it enlightenment as long as you don't see it as some sort of permanent thing. It doesn't matter what you call it. There is something and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper and you can lose it and you can find it. But when you go deeply enough, there is this knowing, which is, it, it's not thoughts, it's before thoughts, but for me, it issues into things like I put in Soul Story, life is good, death is safe, mm. what really matters is love. It's very simple things, which are, in, in Jesus and the Goddess, our book on Gnostic Christianity, right at the end of that, Peter and I try and define the Gnosis, and we go, look, the nearest we can come is, it's okay. And really, that's the biggest thing we need to know. We're on this journey. It's scary as hell. When you hit the depths of being and what arises is this quiet confidence, this silent certainty that despite all of the surface storms and chaos, actually, despite all of that, it's fundamentally okay. You're okay and it is okay. Existence is fundamental. There's a benignness to this. If you know that deep in your being, it enables you to weather the storms, enables you to take the risk of living, yeah. all the rest of it. So the awakening becomes, can I find that more and more and more until even when, I, even when I'm not in it deeply, it's, an, it's there enough. Mm. And I think that's what you're describing. Absolutely. And that's what brought me out of the belief in enlightenment. It wasn't an intellectual argument that deconstructed it. Because I, I have, my mind has been changed on a whole bunch of issues throughout life by people just intellectually demonstrating, no, this is why you're wrong there. And see, it logically can't be. But that wasn't the case um, with enlightenment, however illogical it might look when I look back on it. There was about a year's period. Um, firstly, I noticed the contradiction between, um, uh, okay, I'm wanting to be in this moment right and that's the whole thing i'm being in the moment but really i wasn't i was being in the moment as a kind of cheat to get to another better moment right and that that occurred to me and there's writers like um alan watts i think picked up on that kind of theme um and expressed it very well and i, I caught on to his writing i think tony parsons did and i think your work at the time um i think it was just prior to when you were expressing these ideas but there was more of a well, i went to one of your seminars at the time and that was the felt sense of it, rather than um, the intellectual expression, okay? And about a year after that, um, I had an experience I wrote about in this, this article of just suddenly thinking, oh, but life is so good, why would I need enlightenment? And then it just felt it's like that, that's what ended it. It's like, I didn't need it anymore, I didn't need this thing to hold on to. And it, it seemed, well, maybe it exists and maybe it doesn't, but who cares? I, my life's great, you know, and I have this connection to uh, my inner transcendent self and I have this outer connection to other people and I don't need a super transcendent state that's imaginary to descend and stay permanently yes and I, and I think what's so great about what you've just said and this is a, a important thought is that by dis, by saying let's move on from the concept of enlightenment I don't think we're losing something that we're gaining something sure and what we gain is the life journey you know there's that that joke where you heard me crack i'm sure a lot i think it's in two or three of my books where i go look the bad news is there's no arriving but the good news is there's no arriving mm. oh, of course and it's not um it's not the 
belief or experience of a transcendent state that changed. I became more in touch with that. It's the that you go into it and never come out exactly. and just dispense little fortune cookies of wisdom for the rest of your life that I, yeah. I, yeah. I began. Exactly. The, ar- the arriving. The, yeah, the you're arriving. Now, you're now there. Whereas it feels to me like, God, this is, this is infinite, the thing we're in. And the, the state itself, I, can, I, I can't imagine arriving at a place where you can't go deeper or it's not just constantly moving. Or I'm, and then, then I'm understanding it in new ways all the time that's happening right now we're expressing you know the understanding you and i have reached now we we experienced this state years and years ago but now we're going oh look i feel like this now and i hope that we're talking about this in 10 years time if i'm still around and we'll be seeing it in a new way in a deeper way so and then and then there's tim and tim you know is a work of art that will never you know always be a work in progress i you know that's always going to be the case Okay, thank you for all that, Tim. It just occurred to me, as we're saying this, there's no arriving. I can guarantee there'll be a comp beneath the YouTube video or whatever platform saying, yeah, those guys, they never really got it. That's the problem. Yeah, of course. course. (laughs) I get that a lot. You're exactly right. So, you know, for those people that are thinking of doing that right now, um, yeah, look, look, you know, that happens all the time to me because if you have that place, if you start with that, then you're looking for certain you know and then the game uh but if you've had enough of that game then there's a whole new emergent spirituality that's waiting to be brought into existence and it needs us to do it okay thank you so what i'll do beneath this video i will link to my article which is called an encounter of the gnostic christ at the end of the search for enlightenment and if that doesn't intrigue you then nothing in the world will i mean you've, you've got to click on that link <laughs> i will also link to um a section of Tim's book, The Laughing Jesus, which will make probably make it downloadable as a PDF called Is it the Pernicious Problem of Perfect People? The Pernicious Problem, problem of, of Perfect, perfect People. Yeah. Yes. So that's a little few paragraphs from Tim's book, The Laughing Jesus, um, where he talks about the problem of gurus. I think the story behind that is Peter Gandhi was critical of your use of alliteration, wasn't it? So you. It was, it was, uh, no, the story behind that was actually going back to people's criticism of the Jesus mysteries where, um, we, uh, w- some of the reviews were like that, that I was too fond of alliteration. Right. And so, um, when you write with somebody like I wrote, write with that time I was writing for Peter, I would, I knew the first person to ever read whatever I did would be Peter. So I would write things deliberately for him. So the, the title, The Pernicious Problem of Perfect People, was I just knew he'd go, what? Because <laughs> we'd had these comments. Uh, but he, got it, he liked it, so it stayed. Okay, great. So we'll put a, we'll put a link to that little section of the book in, and um, we'll put a link to the, the whole book, The Laughing Jesus, which explores the concept of um, enlightenment, the, the guru, and it's where Tim came up with the term enlivenment too, when I think first set out this kind of... Uh, uh, like Martin Luther, what's it called? The nail to the door, the um, document for the, the new Ooh. form of spirituality. Yes. Cool. Hopefully it won't quite go the same way as Martin Luther. And no. Is, no, but there we go. Thank you very much for listening in and watching everyone. And uh, if you have any suggestions for further talks, just drop them on the, the Facebook page or anywhere else. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.